welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Silk. In this podcast, I will have conversations with thought leaders, CEOs, and managers from various organizations about leading mindfully. We will learn from experienced leaders how they implement mindful leadership in the day-to-day organizational culture, and we will gain tools and skills. So stay with us. Today, I will speak with Jonathan Reynolds. Jonathan is the founder and CEO of Mindful Life, Mindful Work, Inc., based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Jonathan's business and leadership coaching clarifies and leverages the value proposition and key relationships of his client. Since 1997, Jonathan has trained extensively in the discipline of mindfulness and his work with leaders emphasizes simple and practical ways to improve performance, efficiency, and workplace culture by integrating mindfulness sensibilities. So we will speak about mindful leadership up to implement it in today-to-day and what are the challenges and how we can overcome them. So stay with us. Jonathan, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for joining so early in your morning. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Karen. So Jonathan, you are the founder and the CEO of the, of the company Mindful Life, Mindful Work, right? Yes. So I'm really interested to learn about your path and what brought you to create this amazing company and work with corporate world and organization and to bring this mindful leadership to their teams. Yeah. And- yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for the question. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it was such a unique path, actually. I, I think that after college, after I graduated from college in the 90s, I was all lost. I, I, uh, I was having a hard time and I really found practice. I found mindful and mindfulness practice in the 90s in response to my own suffering, in response to my own difficulty. I was looking for a way to be more skillful in the world. and you know, started doing things like meditation and yoga and those sorts of practices. And uh, over time, you know, I love that. So I, of course, over time, I wanted to share the benefits. And so initially, it was very informal. It was just helping people. It was just, you know, being wise counsel or as wise as I could be counsel to people that needed support. And so I started coaching very early. I wasn't calling it coaching. Again, I was just trying to be useful, but things like relationship coaching or life coaching. And then it all unfolded very organically. It, I mean, over the years, then it became more sort of formal. And uh, at a certain point, I trained to be a therapist. And then for about the last 12 years, been doing leadership development coaching in the corporate space is sort of my main offering. Uh, and then Mindful Life, Mindful Work organically grew. I, I recognized that I wanted to scale my sphere of influence. I wanted to be in bigger conversations. And so I think to do that, you either grow products or you grow a team. And so I was interested in gathering people and collecting people that had similar services, but were distinct, but were aligned energetically or thematically. And in the early days, it was just like a consortium. It was just like people listed on the site, like almost a directory. And then slowly about, you know, it's not that long ago, only about four years ago, did we actually form it into an entity, into a C corporation here in the United States. And now we offer assessments, coaching, consulting, and training. So it's been a very natural progression. And as you know, 
people that are doing conscious leadership work, all of us have sort of the same vision. And I was just talking to lots of people and saying, hey, why, isn't, why doesn't something like this exist? Well, you say that enough times and then eventually you recognize, oh, that's because it's my vision and I need to be the one to do it. And so, you know, it's been baby steps along the way. And now there's this sort of recognition. Amazing. You know, I'm listening to you and what resonates within me. I think it's also connected to leadership. It's actually leading by example, right? Because you went through this path. You encountered these tools that helps you and now you want to bring them to the corporate world. So I think it's a crucial element of leaders nowadays to lead by example, starting with ourselves. What do you think about it? I think it's essential. I mean, if you haven't gone inside to touch something deep within, what are you bringing? You're just bringing some regurgitated or slightly configured thing that you saw. And the only way to really see something authentic and passionate and pure is to go inside. I mean, I, I think that a person's whole gift for the world, whether they're a leader or an individual contributor, you have to go in and get the gift first. Otherwise, you don't know what it is necessarily. And again, it's a combination. It's not either or. But I think that, you know, everything that I do comes from my own self-reflective practice. That's amazing. But I think you're kind of unique. I don't think every, each and every one is aware to the fact that we need to look within ourselves. I think it's in the last years that we see the need for it and we know the need for it. But you, when you go to the corporate world, you feel they understand what you're talking about. Let's listen to ourselves. Let's talk with ourselves. Let's begin with ourselves. I must say that as I encounter corporate world and leaders, it's not always common practice. It's not always a common to pause and reflect inside of ourselves instead outside. Usually we're, you know, looking for problems outside and we don't stop and say, okay, how did I make this problem? What is my part in this problem? And taking responsibility, usually we're the victim. This is what I see. A lot of us like to be the victim and not to take responsibility and not to say, okay, what is my part? How can I change this? So this is what I think. What do you think about it? Well, you know, I mean, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that there's lots of layers, right? There's the creative part, which I sort of mentioned, but there's also a resourcing part. If you're all external all the time, at a certain point, this vessel gets depleted. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so there's a resourcing element, I think, that happens as well. And so I, I think that's a leader's gift is how to translate something that they touch that's very personal into a way that it's useful to more folks. And so, I mean, I think if anything, the sort of unique element of mindful life, mindful work is that translation in a way that's accessible and applicable. Those are sort of our two keywords is it doesn't matter how amazing some offering is, if other folks can't utilize it or use it, it's useless to them. And so it's how to position it. You know, you can call that marketing or packaging. I think it's just really good translating that allows them to see the value of it and to put it into their context. So sometimes I like the metaphor of water. Water pours into any vessel. It doesn't discriminate or discern or decide whether it's going to pour into a different shaped vessel. It just does. Mm -hmm. And so I think if whatever you touch internally, you sort of, it has the quality of water or something nourishing that you can find ways to pour it into different vessels. And you might have to pour differently, you might have to pour a different amount or in a different way or at a different time. And so figuring that out for companies in dialogue with companies together, I think is the real art of delivering mindful services. I think that's the big miss 
with a lot of folks delivering mindful services, they sort of say, hey, here's my thing. Well, then the company just says, oh, that doesn't solve anything that we need. Well, no, don't say this is your thing. Say, hey, I've got a way of approaching. What do you need? Let's have a conversation and let's actually find how this water is useful to you. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think it's a crucial element and it connects to listening, right? The ability to listen what really our customer needs and not what we want to offer them. Like it's the pull or push sales, right? Mm -hmm. I looked at your website and I saw a sentence. It was written that each step of his personal and professional path, your path, is sought to further refine and develop his interest in the psychological relationship between sin and simplicity. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so, that's great. I, I love that line. You know, you're the only the second person in the last 15 years that has, you know, asked about that line. And that line for me is really everything. Because it's about perception, it's about experience, the seer, it's about the act of seeing and what is seen. You know, I mean, it's like that saying, uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, mm-hmm. you know, or, or sometimes I like to say something's only interesting because we got interested in it. Nothing has inherent interesting qualities. We can say some things are more interesting than others, but they're really not. It's because of our personal subjectivity and interest in it that it lights up. And so, you know, I'm sort of pointing to that in that is, is I'm very interested in the relationship where the subject meets the object, you know, where the subject meets the object be the most mindful, whether it's the body on the chair, whether it's my eyes touching the screen with awareness and sight. And then simplicity for me is even prior to mindful and mindfulness, for me, simplicity has been the through line and the guiding principle for my own development and for my own growth. Sort of when you pair away, when you shed the unnecessary, or in French, the detro, you know, the, the extra, when you shed the extra, what's left over? And I think when we shed judgment, good and bad, dichotomy thinking, what's left over? Well, presence and awareness is left over. And so it's sort of a, you know, all of that relationship, all of that sort of give and take culminates in just this, right? Like this moment is like this, no matter what we think about it, no matter how we want it to be, whether we want it to be more exciting or me to be saying better stuff or worse stuff, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It is like this. And when we let go into that, we stop looking for something and we start finding something. This is really interesting. You know, what resonated within me when you talked about simplicity I think the mission is to take complex things and make them simple, right? I think this is the, the creative part to really, and this is the essence when you really can clarify things in a simple way and make it accessible. As, as you said, we're bringing mindfulness to the corporate world. Okay, it's a big word. What does it mean? How do I make it practical in the, in the day-to-day? Because people at the end of the day want to use it. So I think it's really clarifying the essence of what we're bringing in order to be there, you need to be a master, I think. It's not easy to, to do it. And, you know, it takes me to the next uh, question. Can you share with us, you talked about examples and the practicality. What are you finding when you're working with leaders and managers? What are the most struggling nowadays? Well, I, I think there's a general something. Like, there's sort of generally, I think, leaders and all of us as humans, really, are learning to bo- be more relational. There's sort of this idea 
And I think it's partly sort of our upbringing, especially in cultures where there's an individualistic sense of self. You know, in cultures where there's a collectivist sense of self, it's a little easier to recognize that relational connection and that interconnection. And so I think taking some of the burden off of leaders to have to always be answers, they maybe like to know the answers and sort of be a know-it-all, but that actually isn't particularly useful. Once in a while it is, and in certain situations, you need to have somebody that just knows. Um, but mostly this sort of the collective emergence of wisdom and sort of recognizing that the way to solve things, especially when there's multiple people involved, is to draw on everybody's wisdom. And to really, I mean, especially if they're going to be the ones executing on some task, well, they have to have full buy-in. That's where the coaching mindset instead of the supervisory mindset comes in, is when somebody comes up with their own solution, they're that much more likely to act on it because it's theirs. The ownership is sort of embedded in the fact that they came up with it. Whereas if they're told to do something, they're less likely to follow through because it's not theirs. And it might be based on a skill set they don't have. Whereas if they come up with it, they're going to come up with something that they can actually execute on and that's feasible. And so I think that just generally this relational piece, and I think this applies systemically across the board post-COVID or at tail end of COVID, depending on where we are. And so this capacity to leverage groups and systems of people, I think, is a real relational skill and is why we're seeing the trends in leadership that we're seeing away from being a boss and a manager to being a thought partner. And I think, you know, the work that folks like you do and the, the Mindful Life, Mindful Work do, I think that's, you know, we're maybe not the tip of the spear, but we're near the tip of the spear. It definitely is the first few decades of the tip of the spear. And I think that's going to continue. You know, I saw a post, uh, just the headline of a post on LinkedIn this morning um, saying something like kindness is the new leadership. Well, what is the core of kindness? The core of kindness is relational, uh -huh. recognizing when you're hurting somebody's feelings um, or doing something unskillfully. And it's not about being overly touchy-feely, of course, but it's about being awake relationally. And I think a lot of leaders have had the luxury of being asleep. And that's been a service to those that they've led, but it's also a disservice to themselves, of course, because they suffer in isolation and they feel more stress. Why not spread that out and actually be effective? I think that maybe addresses, but if it doesn't, let me know. I couldn't agree more with you. I think, where did I see it? But like they talked about the new skills that leaders we need to have right now is leading in uncertain times. It's the ability to hold the uncertainty. And this is actually what you're saying, you know, in my research and talking about it in my book, I, I call it the dialogue space. It's creating a space for this wisdom and inviting people to be present with their open heart, open mind and open will and to see what will emerge. But, you know, I really know from my experience and believe that we need to go through a transformation because in order for someone to be able to hold the space, you need to be comfortable being in the answers. And, and from my experience, we don't like being there. What, what is your experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that capacity to suspend judgment or grasping for the known is the capacity that allows for emergent creativity to arise. And especially in a system of people, but also in an individual. Um, there's a book by uh, Alan Watts called, the, I think it's called The Wisdom of Uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And it really is this same thing. Um, our mind wants to grasp onto something and label it and 
take a snapshot of it. But reality is not a photograph. It's a flow of imagery. The metaphor he uses is you look down into the river and it's so beautiful that you want to take it with you. And so you scoop up a bucket and you look in the bucket and the bucket's no longer flowing. Uh-huh. And so we want to scoop up a moment of time and you just can't do that. And so that capacity to be in uncertainty is actually the capacity to be in reality. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'll say is what you said about this dialoguing capacity and see what emerges. You might be interested in something called Bohmian dialogue, um, which was created, I believe, by the physicist Bohm, whereas yeah. you just get a group of people together in a room with no prompts or themes or anything and see what happens. You know, eventually the group finds its way based on the needs of the group, right? And, uh, and that's, uh, that's actually addressing something, not sort of some canned or contrived oh, this is what we're going to do. Well, you've already limited it if you do too much of that. Mm -hmm. And of course, companies or those of us that come in and provide services, we need some scaffolding. We need some structure. But ideally, that's just a starting point because we don't know what we're going to find. That's right. And you know, I always offer to leaders, if they're struggling around the product or service, if you can create space and time, even start the meeting by saying it's okay that we won't get to a solution in this meeting. And only by creating this space, sometimes the solution will emerge even quicker, right? Because we're mm-hmm. not stressed, we're not stuck, and we're enabling something new to emerge. The metaphor I sometimes use for that is we're banging a he- our head against the wall because we think we want to get to the other side. But if we just step back 10 feet, then we can see if a door off to the side. But if we're so close, we're never going to see the door. And so stepping away gives us that opportunity. doesn't mean there will be a door, but there mm-hmm. might be. Or the wall might even only be four feet high, but if we're too close, we can't tell. And, uh, and so all of these things happen when we allow that space for the emergent. Because again, the solution to most limitation can't be solved within the limitation. I mean, that's the Einstein quote, right? You can't solve a problem at the level of awareness that created it or the level of consciousness. And yes. so the same sort of thing, that spaciousness. Yeah, I think you're right on. And you know, it's connected to when we practice mindfulness and be more present in the moment, it's connected to the beginner's mind, right? We can see more things that we didn't see before. I can say it personally. Now I see when I pre- I'm practicing for a long time, but I see it increases my ability to see opportunities. You know, once in the past, I didn't see them. So I think it's really changing our attitude and the way we look at things instead of saying, okay, why did this door close? Maybe there's a reason and something better will come. Or once you have this in your mind, you will see the other opportunity. But if you're stuck and attached to the other door that is closed now, so this is what you're saying, actually, you call it to bang the, the head, but it's being attached to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was uh, in college, I took an art class. And there was this wonderful little thin book called Learning to Look. I think it was called Learning to Look. And it was mostly about composition and how, you know, if you make one thing bigger, the other thing looks smaller. And depending on where it is, it has more value in the image. But that was so valuable to me because that capacity to look and see with fresh eyes really is what you see. I mean, if you've ever tried to draw a hand that's foreshortened because it's reaching out into space, you know, your mind thinks it knows what a hand does. So it just starts to draw fingers, but it doesn't look anything like that if it's coming right at you. You really have to look closely to see what it looks like. The other concept in art that I got very interested in was negative space. 
the space between objects. You know, even us looking at each other right now, we sort of get fixated on the face we're looking at. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole bunch of space. I mean, even with technology, there's a space, but of course, there's miles. And that space is very fascinating because that space is actually the invitation for the unknown. The mm -hmm. objects, the forms are the known, but the space is the invitation. Or in sometimes uh, there's a teaching that, you know, in a cup, you say, hey, I pour water. I use the cup to carry water around. We actually don't use the cup. The, 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 let's say it's made out of clay. The cup creates the space that you use. You actually are using the space when you pour something into a cup. You're not using the clay. The okay. clay is required to create the space that you use. You couldn't use that space without the clay, but you're yeah. using the space. You're not using the clay. Interesting. It takes me to another thought about the embodied presence. You know, I heard a nice sentence. Someone said that, as I must say, that our body is the rental car for this life. What do you think about it? Well, you know, I mean, I think that awareness, you know, depending on what your sort of theology or spirituality is and whether you believe in reincarnation or transmigration or metempsychosis or whatever you want to call that, you know, it's where, where is identification? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what do I, we identify as the self? You know, so for instance, if I'm my body and I lose a finger, I'm sort of a different person because I'm a different body. Uh -huh. You know, we can say, oh no, you're just the same and lost the body. But at what point do you become, you know, it's sort of the philosophical metaphor of the ship that you're replacing a plank on you're sailing a boat and you're replacing a plank every day. And when you arrive, are you on the same ship? You replaced every plank. That's a real question. And so, you know, part of practice, I think, awareness practice is sort of where do I identify? I'm blanking right now on the father of psychology. I'm blanking on the father of psychology name. But he said, everyone draws a line between two things. And everyone draws that line in a different place. Mm -hmm. And when I say what the two halves are, you'll know exactly what I mean. Everyone draws a line between self and other, mm -hmm. self and not self. But where do you draw that line? Do you draw it at the skin? Do you draw it at the family? Do you draw it at a country or the planet or the universe? Do you draw it beyond physical things? Again, we're getting a little bit metaphysical, but not really. I think it's a very practical exploration to say, where does my service come from? If I'm a provider of services, where does my leadership come from? If I'm a leader, mm -hmm. why do I want to help this work just for money? Or is there some deep reason that I feel connected to this group of people other than I just have to, because it's my job. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where leadership is going. It's going towards meaning and purpose. You know, Fred Kaufman's book, um, it's going in these directions that I think are really essential because the other direction is vacuous. It's not satisfying. How much money is enough money? Well, the answer is, for most people, never. Right. <laughs> and, and, and that's sad because that's sort of a recognition that there's, they haven't touched in. Because if you touch in, the money is an expression of the flowering from within. It's not a confirmation of value. It's an expression of value. And I think leaders really need to get there. And all, we all need to get there. I so agree with you. you. know, yesterday I had a conversation with a friend, so he told me, you know, I don't have a goal right now, so I decided that I will have a goal to have a lot of money in 55 that I can leave the walk. And I said, okay, doesn't sound so inspiring, but good luck with it. And I think we sometimes get into a point that, you know, 
one of the managers who came to attend my retreat was 56 years old and he, he came in attention. He was practicing mindfulness and he came with intention to see what he, his next step in life. And it was amazing because during the retreat, it came to him like the wisdom within his body and he had the clarification about what his next step and understood he's going to be a teacher and it was really touching you know, and exciting. And I agree with you. And I think this has been a mindfulish leader, really listening to ourselves. And sometimes we need to pivot to change it. And the fact that I ask you about the, the body, because I had a conversation in my own with the body, is the body really needed? You know, I, I have more emotion, sensation. And then it was a process that I went through and I understood that maybe the body is connecting our mind and our heart. And maybe it's, part, it's a needed part that I was uh, in a tough conversation with it. So I think, yes, I think leaders need to listen to their intuition, to listen to their inner wisdom and to dare to act upon it, right? Not only listen, because I think the scary part is to act upon it. Like if you have, you need to create, to make a difficult conversation right now. So, okay, don't postpone it. They have the courage to do it. What do you think? I think it's essential. I think that leaders and others have gotten really skillful at covering up that intuition and that voice. I have a very low threshold for discomfort. And so if that voice comes up, I need to listen to it and not just share it immediately. It has to come up regularly for me, but I don't let things go unresolved because it's exhausting, first of all. And so I think there's that embodied wisdom and the body gives us signals for when we have needs and when we want to set boundaries and all sorts of things. And I think the body is sort of the physical representation of us, obviously. and it is also a vehicle. It is also a vehicle for us to deliver in a physical world that requires scaffolding, that requires calcification and embodiment. It's like, how do we touch into that inner stuff? You know, I mean, maybe we've heard the metaphor, the hands in like Chinese meridian therapy, well, they're a direct line to the heart. And so if we're integrated, the hands do the work of the heart in the world. And so, you know, it's, uh, you know, the hands are meant to express love literally um, in all that we do. And if we're not integrated, if the heart's not open or we haven't touched into whatever that is for us, well, then the hands do whatever they want and sometimes not good stuff. Wow. I love it. I, the first time I feel the connection between the hands and the heart. Love it. Jonathan, what tips can you, you want to give our listeners about if they want, okay, the listeners say, okay, I want to be more aware of myself, a better leader, a mindful leader. What do you think are the practical, a small thing that they can start using in the day-to-day in order to start evolving to this place? I mean, I can only speak to my own experience. If you want to understand the mind, watch it. Watch what it does. And again, there's lots of practices and ways to do that. I think meditation is a very useful one. And I also, again, in the name of accessibility, start really slow, um, one minute a day. And people laugh at that. I often recommend that to my clients. And I say, hey, how about one minute a day? And they, ha, 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 that's funny. I said, how about one minute a day for every day for a year? And then, of course, it's less funny because it's like, oh, it's not about how long. It's about making it a practice and not sort of an ego agenda around how long it is. Oh, I could never tell anyone I'm only meditating one minute a day. That's so embarrassing. Well, that's just the ego. Again, do what actually is useful. The best practice is the one you do. 
is the one you can actually do. So yeah, it'd be great. Meditate 24 hours a day. You might be able to do that one day and then you'll crash and burn and never do it again. And you'll quit meditating. So mm -hmm. start small with whatever you do, but have some self-awareness cultivation practice. You know, everything that I've ever done in my life came from that. I started, you know, doing those sorts of practices when I was 23. And on the surface or externally, it looks like I changed. But really, of course, anyone who has a real practice knows that they just feel more like themselves. That's right. Uh, and another question, sometimes people ask me, do you need to meditate in order to increase your self-awareness? Are there other tools that you can use? What, do you, what is your answer for it? I think it's important that it be a deliberate practice that is repeatable. Meditation is sort of the simplest practice. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's sort of like pared down. Mm -hmm. It's just sit there and notice breath. And there are specific types and practices and things, but really it comes back to returning to the present moment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but anything that does that for a person, uh, you know, photography, dancing, art um, are all great things. You know, all, all sorts of things can bring us to the present moment. Mm -hmm. uh, we want it to be sustainable. We want it to be nurturing. Pain can bring us to the present moment really quickly. I don't recommend a pain practice. Giving That's, birth can bring you to the present moment. <laughs> of, well, of course, it's a transformational experience that men will never know. And uh, yeah, I mean, ask any woman. She'll say that was really, I mean, it depends on how they contextualize it, of course, yeah. but they'll say it was significant. They're not going to say, no, that was no big deal. And so, again, finding a practice that works for you. And again, for some, I mean, nature is a great practice. Uh, but again, I like the practice of meditation because it's so accessible. I can just go about 10 feet that way and sit on my cushion. And I can do that many times a day if I need to. Mm -hmm. You know, if we need an hour walk in nature every time, we might not be able to find that hour. Yeah. And so that's where I, that's why I, I like simplicity. And ultimately, that's formal practice. What about informal practice? Mm -hmm. Am I meditating right now? You know, to the best of my ability, am I in my body? Am I yeah. noticing my breath? Am I awake to this exchange? So again, I like a practice that you can do in any moment. And that's why mindfulness has served me very well, I think. Yeah. And I agree with you. You know, at the end of the day, the goal is to be in the meditation each and every moment in our life. It's really a great expression, but this is why we want to meditate and be present. Uh, Jonathan, before we wrap up, I can continue talking with you for hours, but we need to uh, wrap up. So is there any question that I didn't ask you, that I haven't asked you, and you want to say something? To... I think you did a wonderful job. Um, you know, it's always a pleasure. We've talked about these things before, of course, and mm -hmm. so it's always a pleasure. And, you know, it's interesting. I've been doing a lot of interviews lately, as you know, uh, noticing the mind. The mind says, well, what am I going to say new this time? And it's so great because every time, because of who the interviewer is, mm -hmm. they draw out a whole different part of the story and experience. So this has actually been really fun um, and very different than, uh, than the other interviews that I've done recently. So, uh, so I'm grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you, Karen. Thank you. I always enjoy talking to you. And uh, when the listeners will want to reach out, where can they find you before we close? You know, uh, we have a website. It's www.mindfullifemindfulwork.com. Uh, we're also all over social media. LinkedIn is sort of our main hub to find us. 
uh, but reach out. Like uh, we're interested in good conversations and people that are looking at developing this work and integrating it into companies. And uh, again, accessible and applicable. We want to make this really readily available in a way that doesn't shame or scare anyone if it's new to them. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed the conversation. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.